Jay isn't here today, but I am joined by Deborah from Australia. Hi, Deborah. Hi, Manuel. I'm pleased to be here. It's so nice to have you. You've been listening to our show and you wrote us an email a few months back. And you wrote, in regard to one of your previous discussions, my family and I were able to obtain German citizenship in 2009 under a clause of the Grundgesetz. My father was a German-Jewish refugee who escaped Berlin on the first Kindertransport on December 1st, 1938. It was a relatively easy process to apply for German citizenship from Australia and to obtain a German EU passport, and I was able to retain my Australian citizenship. So this is a topic that I find hugely interesting and that I know very little about. So in a nutshell, basically, your dad was German. He was a German Jew, and he fled a Berliner, and he fled or was helped to escape the country. He was a child when he escaped the Nazi regime in Germany. And you were born, and your family was born in Australia, and you have since reclaimed this citizenship. Yes, that's right. That's correct. That is amazing. Tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe start with your father's story, and then we'll talk about your story. Yes. My father was a only child, I think a much-loved child. His father was a Kaufman, a businessman in Berlin. Um, originally, the family came from um, Prussia, German towns that are now part of Poland. And uh, they, um, I think my father had a good, kind and caring life before the Nazis came to power because the family were reasonably comfortable or middle class. Mm-hmm. and uh, But then, of course, when the Nazis came to power in 1933, everything began to change. Mm-hmm. So tell me about this Kindertransport. I had heard of this a little bit, but basically organizations in the U.S., I believe, helped children escape basically by their by themselves without their parents uh, to different countries so perhaps it would be appropriate to give a little bit of background that was happening um, from yeah. 1933 when Hitler came to power because I think many of the listeners of uh, moving to Berlin will be in their 20s and 30s and be mm-hmm. unfamiliar with the Second World War and why the Jews had to flee. Mm-hmm. So once the Nazis came to power, they put in place um, strict laws that prevented the Jews from participating in everyday life. And as time went on, up to the start of the Second World War, uh, the laws became stricter and more draconian so that Jews um, could no longer own businesses, the Jewish um, children could no longer go to German schools, uh, professionals such as doctors could no longer practice their employment and uh, um, they they were compelled to sell their businesses, the Jews, to, to mm-hmm. um, Germans and so on. And that led up to um, 1938, uh, where a um, action against the Jews occurred on the ninth, on the evening of the 9th of November. Um, uh, 
which was called Kristallnacht. You would have mm -hmm. heard of Kristallnacht. Yes, Reichskristallnacht is what it's known as in Germany. Yeah, so the in English it's uh, called the Night of the Broken Glass. Yeah. And the uh, trigger for this was um, uh, a, a young um, uh, German in um, France attempted to assassinate um, a German official, gravely wounded the official. That was the trigger for the Nazis to um, start a rampage against the Jews, including something like 30,000 Jews were rounded up, thousands mm -hmm. of um, synagogues, which are the place of worship for Jews, were burnt down. Schools were burnt down. My father was by that time at a Jewish school, um, uh, and that was burnt down. Um, people, uh, businesses were, the broken glass came from the, the smashing of windows and breaking into, um, people's place of business or place of, um, their, their accommodation. My, my father's parents had a maid or had had a maid and she had a, um, boyfriend that, who was in the normal German police, not the Gestapo, not the secret mm -hmm. police, and in some way they were warned and so they were able to go into hiding and they weren't rounded up. So that was um, November, the, the evening of November, uh, the 9th, 1938, into the 10th of November. Yeah. It's, it's good that you mentioned that maybe not everybody knows about this. In Germany, luckily, this is a huge part of our basic education now where we learn about about these things in school and maybe not everybody remembers the, the the exact date although they should because it's this date is very important because of several historical events but it's true that maybe not everybody has heard this name Reichskristallnacht and also this kind of gradual at least in the beginning, gradual worsening of the situation, right? It wasn't, I mean, yes. everybody knows about the concentration camps and the mm. the genocide that happened, but the fact that there were many years of kind of a gradual intensification of the suppression and, and discrimination of Jews, maybe not everybody's so familiar with this. And yeah, this was when it really, really got bad, right? And people realized, yes. okay, this is, this is not going to turn out well. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, I think by that time, many Jews had been trying to leave Germany, but there were no countries that were willing to take them in, and that became mm -hmm. the problem. And I just wanted to also say the 9th of December, the 9th of November is an important date because it's also the date in which the Berlin Wall in right. 1989 fell, and it's good for people to understand why that date whilst it's a date of celebration in 1989, was not a mm -hmm. date of celebration in 1938 and why it cannot be Germany's National Day or why it wasn't made Germany's National Day once reunification occurred. Right, yeah. Yep, that's a very good point. So, so that brings us up to the kinder transport. Uh, as I said, um, um, Jews by that stage were trying to flee and seek and some some Jews managed German Jews managed to flee to other European countries that were unfortunately later invaded by the Nazis. Uh, but in England there was a recognition that they needed to do something to help save um, um, 
some Jews and so they decided they would try and save Jewish children. Mm-hmm. And so that's how the kinder transport were organised by um, some organisations in England, not, not by America. America didn't do anything to help. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, one group, the Quakers, who are a, a, a form of a Christian uh, Christians, um, they who believe in pacifism, they attempted to help as well. And what? They 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 are um, 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 a, a form of Christianity, the Quakers, and they um, have beliefs about peace and beliefs about um, um, helping people, no matter what their religion or background mm-hmm, is, okay. and I believe they also helped. And so um, the kinder transport um, were organised and um, with various organisations in England, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure of all the details. And I have read that the first kinder transport mainly had um, Jewish children from orphanages or without Parents, but I believe my grandmother was involved, my German grandmother was involved in some way in um, helping organise the transport. And that's how my father, who was age 16, and his 14-year-old cousin were able to be placed on the transport. So all the children left without their parents and there were just a few adults um, to supervise them along the way. That is incredible if you think about it, your own grandparents putting you on a transport in a different country because they they know you'll be safer there without you than you would be staying with them that's just unimaginable to be leaving and not know when you would see your parents again and um of course many children were much younger than that um my father was 16 Uh, i think uh you had to be under 18 to be put on the transport the kinder transport's important because the British um, ended up being able to save 10,000 Jewish children from um, not only from um, Germany but, of course, Austria, which had been occupied by the Germans by that time, and Czechoslovakia. And uh, so that's a, a very large number of children to have saved. That's incredible. So your father arrives to Australia, of all places. No, not no. He arrived on the. Um, he never would speak like many Holocaust survivors about it, except to say that it was fairly terrifying when they got to the border, um, which I think was the border between Germany and the Netherlands, and uh-huh. the Gestapo came on the train, and then they were put um, on, I assume, a boat to. England, where that's where mm-hmm. they arrived in England. Okay, so they went to England, and then he moved to Australia later in life. Um, no, it's, it's a little bit it's a war story. It's a bit complicated. My father, there, there's an, a very good um, documentary called "Into the Arms of Strangers," which we saw some time after, which um, shows the story of the Kinder Transport children. And uh, one of my brothers was watching it. And there was um, my father arriving as a 16-year-old, a, a, a few seconds clip of my father. And my oh, father wow. um, was a very keen student and apparently he was interviewed and all he said was that he wanted to sit his exams. 
<laughs> so they were able to stay in England and um, they were placed in um, um, with guardians or in um, orphanages um, or taken into British families. My German grandparents managed to escape in no- early 1939. Um, and... Uh, but what happened was um, another bit of war history. Uh, uh, some of your listeners will know this, that um, the Nazis invaded France and mm-hmm. um, the British had to um, be evacuated back to Britain and then the British um, became afraid of these German aliens, these mm-hmm. Jewish refugees in Britain, and they rounded them up for transport. At that stage, they were um, called um, classified as enemy aliens. So then from there, how did he end up in Australia? Well, he was transferred on a ship that's infamous amongst the Jewish Australians called the Janeera, which held obviously a lot of Jewish-German refugees, but also some German soldiers, uh, the Nazis tried to um, submarine it, um, attack it a couple of times, but then some luggage was thrown overboard, and so they decided, and they realized there were German soldier prisoners of war on it as well, and so they didn't attack it. My father was placed in an internment camp, but sometime later, the authorities realized they had these um, young. Um, German Jewish refugees they still called enemy aliens but somewhere along the line they they became friendly aliens and my father was actually able to volunteer for an or, or he worked for an employment company and he actually served in the Australian army overseas wow which is how later after the war he ended up staying in Australia that is an incredible history and incredible life and so he started a family you're his offspring you're the result of his life story so maybe before we go into your personal history and your decision to get the german citizenship can you explain how and why this became a possibility why is it that someone like you who was born in australia is able to get German citizenship today? So um, the the Nazis um, had a number of laws which became um, more and more severe. So I think some um, German Jews and dissidents um, were deprived of their citizenship um, Mm -hmm. in 1933. My father had a much older cousin who was a... um, editor of a left-wing newspaper who went over the border, so to speak, in 1933 and lost his citizenship. But in 1941, um, the Nazis brought in a, a what they called the 11th degree to the law on the citizenship of the Reich, um, where they um, um, took away the citizenship of Jews and dissidents. And it's important to say that um, whilst Jews were... Um, I suppose the largest group that per- was persecuted, um, there were um, the the Roma and the mm-hmm. um, so 
Um, your listeners might know them by the term gypsy, which we would think of as a prerogative, a pejorative term now to use. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were persecuted. People who were from communist or socialist background were also rounded up and put in camps. So um, um, the 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 German Jews were probably not the only population that lost their citizenship, but they're probably the largest group of people that did. So my father was effectively stateless, really, from 1933 to the end of the war, 1945. So he was without citizenship and then applied for Australian citizenship at first? Yes, yes. He applied for Australian citizenship. And so um, when... The German, when the basic law, the Grundgesetz, um, became, became um, was made in 1948, and that would have been West German's basic law. Uh, yes. I don't or know. Constitution. Do you, constitu- do you call, think of it as a constitution, Manuel? Basically, it's basically our constitution, except that technically we don't have a constitution, we have a basic law. And I couldn't explain the exact difference or why it's technically not a constitution, but a basic law. But that's what it is. It is the German constitution is called mm-hmm. basic law. And in German, that would be the Grundgesetz. Okay. Okay, so I'll just read you the um, clause or the article in the basic law that enabled people um, in my circumstances uh, and others to um, Mm -hmm. apply for German citizenship. It says, Former German citizens who between 30th of January 1933 and the 8th of May 1945 were deprived of their citizenship on political racial or religious grounds and their descendants shall on application have their citizenship restored, which is, um, I think, a means, a way that Germany was trying to um, provide restitution uh, for what they had done. Yeah, and as a side note, I, I was actually planning on having my dad, Janusz, here because he was actually granted German citizenship under this same law. His story mm-hmm. is very different, and so maybe it's a story for another another episode. Yes. But this law very much helped a lot of people claim German citizenship because their ancestors had German citizenship and then it was taken away. Yes. From them by the Nazis. And at the time my family applied for citizenship in, in 2008 and we received it in 2009, there were some restrictions. Uh, so my eldest niece, who was 18 then, was born out of wedlock. That's to say her parents weren't married until she was two or three years old. And so when we all received our citizenship, she didn't initially because um, um, your heritage in Germany is through your father and not, and not through your mother. But Really? Still? Yes, Like it's yes. not enough if your mother was German? Your dad had to be German? Well, what has happened in recent times, so this was back in 2008, 2009, but in 2019... Um, there were some restrictions that were 
um, the interior German interior minister ministry issued a couple of degrees to remove some of the restrictions. And in, then in 2021, there was new legislation put in place that removed that time limit of between 1933 and 1945 and also removed um, that, that old fashioned idea of being born out of wedlock. Okay, I'm glad. I'm glad <laughs> they did something about that. I was born out of wedlock. Like, I mean, not that I that I need this law for anything personally, but still, it seems very archaic. <laughs> well, um, having listened to um, your Easy German podcast, there, I'm surprised always to find out that um, some things are, are in Germany are um, a bit old fashioned. Mm -hmm. Yeah, strange. Yes. So strange. Okay, so they put this law in the in the basic law yes. that made sure people who were essentially robbed of their citizenship or their descendants could get it back. Um which I think is great, right? <laughs> it's great that we that we had the the wisdom to to put that in there. And I guess how how and why did you and your family start thinking about mm -hmm. this? Well, I want to speak openly and honestly about what it means and I'm thinking about how open and honest Jay has been about his experiences as an Afro-American in Berlin and uh, uh, the racism he has experienced. As a child, Manuel, I would never, ever have applied for it. I could never have brought myself to apply for it. I felt so strongly about what happened to my German-Jewish family because um, obviously quite a number of my relatives were murdered in the camps or died because of illness and lack of um, nutrition and, and treatment. And um, I felt I was always relieved that I belonged to the group that were from the victims and not the perpetrators. Mm -hmm. And so I, I'm a post-world child, so I'm a different generation to you. And so I felt really strongly about that. I didn't actually know that I was a, allowed to um, apply for German citizenship, but I know as a young woman I would never have done it. Mm -hmm. And I was speaking to my younger brother on the weekend and um, he said he was the one that suggested it after my mother died. Um, I had thought it was my older brother, but my younger brother said it was him and he said he'd suggested it to my mother and she had been shocked and said, well, why would you do that? And I think many people of my parents' generation just couldn't understand why you would go ahead and do that. Mm -hmm. um, But uh, I can talk about why I did it from my, for myself and why my family did it, but also I have looked at um, what other people are saying and there are some of the same feelings and reasons. So for me personally, I don't have children, so it wasn't a matter of getting citizenship for children. It was a matter of... Um, Some kind of restitution, psychological, emotional restitution, acknowledgement of what was done, a reclaiming of birthright, um, that was a had become a really strong thing to me when my brother suggested it. For my brothers who had children, 
there was that element, but there was also this idea because the children were in primary school, except for my eldest niece who was 18, and so there was this idea of being able to get um, um, European German citizenship, an EU passport, and so for the children um, to be able to work easily in Europe because, mm-hmm. um, as you may know, Australians are great travellers and usually once <laughs> yes. they finish school and university they go Definitely. travelling and they want to work in, a, in Europe. Yeah. Um, in the articles that I've looked at, um, uh, um, there are some of the same kind of things expressed, this idea of wanting to, um, because quite a few people uh, from what I've read have, have done it, people who are of German-Jewish descent from Israel, in England and so on, and there's this feeling of, um, yes, acknowledgement, restitution. Um, and also the element of being able to have a second passport because unlike um, many Germans who are only able to hold one citizenship, we can hold two citizenships. Which is about uh, to change, hopefully, here. There's some some ideas for how how the whole immigration law is going to change by the current government, and one of them okay. is to take away this requirement that you have to give up your first passport if you're applying for German citizenship, which there's already a lot of exceptions. For example, if you're mm-hmm. from a country that doesn't allow you to give up your citizenship, which there are several countries around the world that will literally not let you give up your citizenship, then Germany will let you keep your second, well, let you keep both passports already, but they're they're going to change this hopefully or probably um to where this is the norm where you can apply for German citizenship and keep your original passport as well. Yes. And um, I think that would be welcome by by many people. And the only other thing I would want to say about why I did it, there's this sense of, and I read this elsewhere, someone else had thought this too, of a kind of, I don't know if you know the expression, an up yours. Um, we, yes. <laughs> we up survived. Yeah, up <laughs> yours. We survived. And you and you think about that. I had um, a great uncle by marriage who was a, a psychiatrist in, in Berlin mm-hmm. who managed to escape, so my, my great aunt's husband, and he lived to 105, and I think wow. up yours. Um, 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 some of my, a couple of my aunts who managed to um, escape, they lived to their 90s. When you think about the next generation and and, um, the generate my my father's children and my my brother's children, it's a a sense of survival. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, for me, that's another aspect about why I wanted um, German citizenship. (laughs) Totally. That, That makes a lot of sense. In the notes that you prepared for this episode, you also wrote down Berliner's attitudes towards Jews. Yes, I wanted to get your point of view about, because of course I've heard and read a little bit about the far right in Germany and I know it's Mm -hmm. not only in Germany, obviously, far right in France and it makes, I feel nervous thinking about what's the view towards Jews now. Yeah, it's a a tricky question. I, I think I'm not qualified enough to give you any kind of answer based on research or statistical evidence or Mm. numbers. But just from what I hear on the news and in kind of the political discourse, 
is that, first of all, the far right that has kind of emerged in the last few decades has been very focused on basically islamophobia <laughs> basically mm. that's that's where a lot of that kind of hatred and discrimination and racism is focused um it's just people from an uh, arabic background um but i've also heard that anti-semitism is on the rise um again mm. basically that that things have been getting better and better and better for many years if not decades and that now with some infamous attacks that there have been. There was an mm -hmm. attack a few years ago on a synagogue that only didn't end up deadly because the the door of the synagogue had a very, very strong lock and door. Basically, they were prepared for this mm -hmm. to happen and they had a security camera and they could tell that someone was trying, someone with a weapon was trying to get inside. But there were other attacks on Jewish institutions and overall kind of, it's it doesn't feel out of control like and also germany i think is is doing a lot to try to prevent anything from happening every every synagogue every almost every jewish institution has basically police stationed in front of yes. it still mm -hmm. um but yes it seems like anti-semitism is on the rise i i also read recently i read something about a band with anti-Semitic lyrics somehow making it into the charts at some point. Just little mm -hmm. bits and pieces here and there where it just feels like this isn't right. Like, why is this happening again now? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how I think the situation presents itself in Germany. But you wrote Berliner's attitudes towards Jews. I think in Berlin specifically, because this is kind of the epicenter of modern-day German politics, but also the Third mm -hmm. Reich and the Nazi regime and everything there. And we ha have all of these reminders. We have a giant Holocaust memorial. We have museums. We have the Jewish mm -hmm. Museum. Um, I do think that overall, it's a very safe city, I hope, for Jewish people yes. and a city where people are welcomed. I mean, many people from Israel come to Berlin for a year or for a few months mm -hmm. and... And so I do think overall it's a place that mm -hmm. very much welcomes people with a Jewish background. Mm. And um, I wanted to say too, because I don't think I've mentioned it, my my mother w was not a Jewish and um, undertook conversion but did not complete it. So I have always um, grown up feeling a bit of a, um, a mischling, a, a bit of a mixture um, mm -hmm. of, um uh, probably that was, but in my upbringing, the emphasis on what happened in the Holocaust and to my father's family was pivotal. It was really the main aspect of my life as a child. Mm -hmm. I, I cannot remember a time when I didn't know of it, even if I didn't know the details. And just one other thing that might be of interest when in some of my reading in preparation for this um, episode, I was reading an article about um, f um, descendants um, of German soldiers 
who had French mothers from the Second World War and um, that was a great source of shame after the Second World War. So French uh, French women who had children to German um, soldiers. But, of course, I think they are also eligible to apply for German citizenship or their descendants. That's interesting. You sent a lot of links to different resources and articles, so we will link all of those in the mm. show notes and you can you can continue reading about all of these topics. So now let's get into the into the process once oh, you yes. make the decision to to apply for German citizenship. What did that look like? What was the process? How difficult was it? What does someone who's in maybe a similar situation have to do to to obtain citizenship? Um, we have Uh, expatriate German community here so we have German consulates and my elder brother wrote to um, the deputy um, uh, consulate and, um, and we there was a little bit of an email exchange and then we had to fill in an application form we had to provide evidence of my father's background and when I looked at the evidence that we had It wasn't a lot because, of course, um, um, a lot would have been left in Germany. But I had um, a family album, a Stammbuch, with um, mm -hmm. official stamps of my grandparents' marriage and my father's birth. And we wrote um, what we knew. Because my father was um, uh, ended up being a soldier in the Australian Army, there were quite a few military records and records of, um, pertaining to um, his uh, original name and before he be took out citizenship and so on. But in recent times when I've been reflecting on it, I figure that the Berlin government or the German government has quite a bit of information because my father received restitution at some stage um, post-war for what was taken. So there must be some documents that we don't have access to that, that Germany has. Mm. Um, and there was a program in the 1980s where um, Jewish German citizens were sponsored for a visit back to Berlin and my father went back to Berlin. Um, my brother, in talking to him, my younger brother, thought my father might have got a very small pension. I'm not sure about that, but I know that he got some form of restitution. So um, we put together what we had. We went along to, um, to the consulate um, and submitted it, and uh, they were welcoming and helpful and not at all bureaucratic. We thought we were very German because we had everything very organised, and um, then we just waited. And I think it might have taken at least over nine months. I had collapsed oh, wow. it in my mind to... I think uh, I collapsed it in my mind to a few months, but when I was looking the other day, we applied in 2008 and we didn't get um, our notification, which just came by a two-line letter and said, you make an appointment and come and see us and we'll give you a, your citizenship certificate. And which, That's um, crazy. So <laughs> and, the, the fact that it took so many months either means that it is very bureaucratic and slow, just like always, or that they really somehow thoroughly check... Yeah. If the whole story checks out, right? Like, 
What, what's your feeling? Is it just a matter of bureaucracy? Oh, look, I, I should say we also obviously had to supply, um, I think, probably my father's um, evidence of my father's nat- uh, citizenship here and of our. we had to supply our birth certificates and um, my nieces, um, her, my brother had to, su- my brothers had to su- supply the birth certificates of their children and so on. Um, so we put together that sort of whole bundle and submitted it. Our meeting was only about half an hour and then we went on our way and sort of forgot about it for a few months because we were told it would take at least six months until we got the letter. And um, all of us got citizenship except initially my niece who was born out of wedlock. But then a few months later... That's still crazy. (laughs) That's just crazy. She got a letter to say that they were thinking about it because their aim was to keep families together. The the Germans' aim was to keep families together and that was in conflict with the fact that she was initially born out of wedlock. What? And so in the end, a few months later after us, my niece got German citizenship as well. Well, I'm glad to hear it. Uh, And then, Manuel, about a month after I got it, I went along and applied for my passport and... um, um, as you know, you have to give a fingerprint, um, uh-huh. which we don't have to do for Australian passports, but we had to give our fingerprint and we had to go somewhere special to get our photos taken because the Australian passport photos. Sorry? Not, not allowed to smile on, on, the, on the passport photo. It's very no, strict No, we're not rules. allowed to in Australia either, but they said the Australian photos weren't going to be good enough. Now, when I, 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 10 years had passed, so I had to reapply for um, my um, passport, which I did, I think, in 2019. And um, now they've got, because everything's digital, oh, you could just turn up and they, they do the photos. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you went in and you got your passport. How did it feel to like when you actually received the pa- passport after having done all of this and having spent your childhood and youth thinking that you would never want to be German? How did it feel to have this passport in your hand? There's a sense of pride and um, uh, um, <laughs> being quite. Glad to remember my family, my German family, and I have been learning German on and off since then um, mm-hmm. because uh, I had decided that if I'm going to have citizenship, then I should make an attempt to learn to speak the language. I should say my father wouldn't speak the language to us, so apart from using a few German expressions and teaching us to count to ten and singing mm-hmm. in German, he would sing in German, he didn't want to speak to us in German. I think that was because he wanted us to be safe and Australian. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, unfortunately, um, we didn't learn German as children. Mm-hmm. So you had the passport. What, what did you do? Did, did you do anything with with this new kind of, what should we call it? This new passport, this new... I mean, I guess now you suddenly had the opportunity to come to Germany, not just to travel, but potentially to stay here for a longer period of time. But that was mm-hmm. never really your plan, right? You just, what did you, did you do anything <laughs> when you got the passport? Well, yes, yeah, look, I, I, I visited um, Berlin in um, 
2010 and I did a four-week course, German course at Goethe and then I came back in 2011 and then in 2014. I haven't for various reasons been able to get back since but Mm -hmm. plan to and I'd like to come for a few months um, and um, try and improve my German because obviously it's much easier to learn the language when you're living in the country. Yes. And and what was the moment like when you you arrived at the airport and you went through passport control and you presented your German passport for the first time? Well, I would have been anxious, but fortunately my older brother, he was always a step ahead of me. So he he actually came in 2010, but he came and stayed for a few months. And also my niece, who probably didn't have her passport then, the eldest niece, she came and, and stayed with her dad. So you kind of, oh, you feel a bit funny. You feel, am I a bit of a fraud? I think because my German's a bit better now, I would feel easier. My German pronunciation is not great, but my um, comprehension is certainly better. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it's something, you know, when you, when, well, I don't know what it's like now post-COVID, but pre-COVID it was so quick to go through the queue because yeah. uh, you arrive at some awful hour of the morning from, a, um, you know, it's mm-hmm. a long flight from Australia. <laughs> and you don't really have to talk. Like in, I don't know, it's different in other countries maybe, but in mm-hmm. Germany, they really just grab your passport, take a good look at you, slide it back and kind of wave you through. Like there's not really any conversation that's happening. No, no. And, you know, it's a legit, a legitimate passport. And um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're welcomed anytime. So the last point that you wrote down that I find interesting is searching for your Berlin ancestors. Did you did you do any of that? Did you try to find any of your father's relatives? Initially in 2010, I had a quick look and found um, information about some of the relatives who had perished that I didn't know existed, that my German grandmother, who died just before my birth, had submitted to um, a a Holocaust site in Israel. Then I discovered that my great-uncle founded a bookshop in Berlin, in Bayerische Platz, that's still in existence. um, Oh, wow. And and it's going to be 100 years old, I think, in a couple of years. Um, And then... um, I got busy with other things and um, unfortunately my husband became ill and um, um, he, he died a few years ago now in 2018 So, um, and I was working full time. But last year I started to look again. I suddenly thought uh, I've got to start looking and I found an amazing amount of information by joining gene- genealogical sites, looking at some Jewish sites, but also by Googling Manuel. Mm-hmm. My my. Great uncle, the one who owned the German bookshop, was also an author of some um, very uh, esoteric philosophical uh, work. And one night, I think, you know, in December or November last year, I just thought, oh, I wonder if that's available on Amazon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was. <laughs> um, two days ago, um, another great uncle moved um, to Palestine. He left very early and um, I managed two days ago to find his doctoral thesis. He was a doctor but then he did doctorate as well 
And I found it because the towns my um, relatives were born in were German, were Prussian, but they're now part of Poland. I found it on a Polish university site. And, um, but it's in German, of course. Uh, mm-hmm. I've got a link to birth records from um, Polish sites. I haven't had time to look through all of those. And um, a couple of Saturdays ago, Manuel, I started learning Polish because I thought I might need some of that, but I don't Oh, my sure. God. That is amazing. <laughs> yes. So that's amazing that you that you were able to find out so much just basically through the internet. You You added a few links to our document as well, which I'll put in the... Yeah, can I just say for people who may not be Jewish but have German um, ancestors, I was astounded to see that Berlin has address books dating back to 1874 and I think I've sent you the link to that and then when telephone became available, also I think telephone numbers. So Mm -hmm. it's amazing what has been kept. Yeah, I mean, I I think that's... That's not a thing anymore. I very much remember being a child and the the new phone book would arrive every year in the mail. And we had two big phone books, mm. one for people and the other one for businesses, the yellow pages. And nowadays it seems kind of crazy that you would have your phone number publicly printed for everybody to just look up mm. and call you. Like, I don't want everybody anybody to know no. my phone number. <laughs> But it's great that that was a thing for so many decades and and centuries almost so that you can do this research now and hopefully try and find people yes and and on the berlin site um um it, it, you can find whether your um uh, family um applied for restitution that's where i found my father's name and a couple of his um re- relatives who survived And they will also do a search for you. So I've got more information to find. I just haven't had time to do it. Unfortunately, too, some of the Jewish sites have um, the places where your relatives died and um, mm. the transports, lists of the transport, the transport, Nazi transports that they mm-hmm. were placed on to go to the concentration camps. I suppose um, I, I'm amazed that so much survived because. Uh, of Germany being so bombed. I, I didn't think all of those records would survive, but they mm-hmm. have. So for anyone who is in a similar situation, what would you tell them? What Is there any piece of advice or anything that you learned from this journey to claiming your birthright and claiming your German citizenship? I think that people who are of German-Jewish descent are probably more likely to want to do it than, um, and of course, they're the ones that are eligible. I think Jews who are not from German descent may find it harder to understand. The other thing I'd say, because many of the listeners to this podcast will be young, is to ask your family all these questions now, whatever they might be. So you're probably not from a Jewish background, but when you get to my age, there'll be all these things you want to know that you never asked your family. And in Holocaust families, often you couldn't ask. There was this unwritten law, don't ask. But there'll be all sorts of things in families that are not spoken about, but speak whilst you can, ask your grandparents or your parents about um, the questions that you have 
because later on they won't be around and you won't have the opportunity. Mm.